0: Hi, I'm James and I'm Drew and welcome to Graphic Support Group, a mindful podcast for the design industry and
1: the self, where empathy and the creative cloud meet. Join us as we delve into the mind and soul of graphic design from PSDs to PTSD. This is Graphic Support. um we're here with becca which i don't know do you go by LaFell corin or who is uh, a very close friend from uh risd mfa program as well um with james and i i think you and james were in the same year um yes we were in the same cohort
0: uh and we were in the same two year track. so we started and ended together.
1: And Becca is now a professor at Washu Sam Fox School of Design and Visual Art, which is where you also went to undergrad, right? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. she moved to St. Louis after grad school. She previously was in Jerusalem before grad school, working at the Israel Museum. She is somebody who I consider to be incapable of making something that's not pretty like everything you make is like so beautiful um so that's kind of I, I can second that I don't know that like you I've ever seen you like produce something that didn't that it wasn't just like oh that's like so nice like you know what I mean so that's sort of kind of my take on your design practice is <laughs> like it's just very kind of it's it has like a very calming sort of presence actually like impeccable would be the word i would i would choose we're happy to have you thank you for joining us and hopefully yeah we can get into what helps you or what keeps you sane in <laughs> when you're doing that stuff teaching or making work and
0: is there anything else you'd like to add to the the uh, bio or maybe just describe uh the school and your position there maybe
2: Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm a senior lecturer at WashU. i I'm in my fourth year. And I kind of, um, st- the Sam Fox School ha- houses um, studio art, design, and architecture. And so I'm in the design program in communication design, which is, it's kind of a unique program in that we have um, kind of like graphic design and illustration tracks that run concurrently in the foundation program and then kind of sp- split off and so there's this really nice overlap where I you know I teach all kinds of classes from like foundation to experimental electives and you'll get students who are kind of like all in on graphic design and then illustrators and then um, what do they call them design illustrators We have these like students who are very much like hybrids where they are great at type, amazing illustrators and it kind of blows your mind. Um, So there's something really nice and unique about that. That's very Um,
0: progressive for them to sort of identify those sort of hybrid uh, creativity.
2: And it's been like that for as long as I've known the program. So I think it's a really unique, I didn't know it at the time when I studied at WashU for undergrad, but it's really unique. And so I love it because I really enjoy teaching. Like it's really fun to have those different mindsets in the classroom. I mean, um, and so, uh, yeah, so it's been a great experience. I've taught a lot of classes since I started teaching at WashU, but I'm at a point now where, you know, I'm teaching some electives that I've authored that are really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, the students think they're fun too, um, like in experimental typography and, um, you know, think, things like that. So um, I feel really, really fortunate to be teaching where I am. The students are amazing, um, just really thoughtful. Kind, creative, good—just pe- good people. Right. Kind of like you know, at RISD Well, there's like a concern for
0: fostering a sense of community and also fostering a certain. I would I wouldn't say like RISD picks a certain persona, but I think RISD also does attract a certain uh, archetype or a certain personality, especially in the grad programs. Um, but uh, not to date yourself, but you mentioned that the the program has been kind of structured as you mentioned um, since you've known it. Uh, but like, and and Drew mentioned that Wash U is also your alma mater. Um, so like, how long back is that that period of of you knowing the program?
2: Yeah. Um, so I. Um, was class of 08, but I ended up graduating a year later because I took a year in between to study abroad. So um, that's, that's when I graduated. And I can't say that when I decided to go to WashU and to go to WashU in 2004, that I knew that level of intricacy about the program. I think I was just excited that I could study art and study other fields because WashU is, you know, a broader university. And that's what really drew me to the school. Um, as I was there, I discovered that. And I can't say that as a student, that was something that appealed to me personally. I'm really not great at drawing. It's not something that um, is a part of how I work. I mean, certainly sketching is, but not drawing and and creating my own images is not a part of my own practice. but you know it's great to be around those people, and i and I appreciate um, I appreciate the learning that goes into it, especially when you have illustrators. The illustration faculty being a part of the kind of foundational core education, so you've got designers and illustrators teaching the same cohort of students. I think that gives a lot of nice perspectives. Can
0: remember a little bit back to when you were an undergrad, like what drew you to St. Louis, and like because you grew up in Boston, right?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Boston, and I can say that the only thing that drew me to the school was this the ability to study a creative field and get brought in the rest of my education. I was not, I knew that I wanted to do something creative, um, but I just, given my education growing up, I just didn't feel like I could fully commit to like a full on art program like a RISD. Um, and there's the, there was like a hybrid program between Tufts and the museum school in Boston. But um, I think frankly, we got a mailer from WashU. I saw it and I, and I was like, wow, this is amazing we went to visit the campus was beautiful and the people were so kind all the people that i met and so it just felt it was one of those feelings where, like okay i can see myself here i don't think i realized the um reality of it being a plane right away like most of my friends from home you know went to new york or um philadelphia but they were a train or car ride away and like i was a plane ride away i didn't go home until thanksgiving my first year Um, Obviously, I was fortunate enough that I could fly when I wanted to, but um, that was a big adjustment that I got used to pretty quickly, but I didn't compute kind of like what that meant. Um, But that was how I ended up there and I had a wonderful undergrad experience. I had amazing faculty that still teach at WashU today and now are my colleagues, which is really cool and in the beginning was a little bit (laughs) daunting. that I I love the program. I learned so much, and I think it's it's just. I mean, it's it's just only getting better and evolving. The faculty is growing. It's just it's it's expanded so much since. I, I will
0: say there. that uh, for some reason, our guidance counselor really pressed upon our like I went to like a private international school here in Seoul, and uh, Washi was actually like one of the schools he really wanted a lot of people to go through, but no one actually ever went. But I mentioned that because I remember, like, it's still in my brain that, like, I think the WashU uh, brochure uh, was like the archetypical, like, college brochure. Like, it was like idyllic campus, like, diverse, like, student base. <laughs> and it was just like, and the Quas,
1: yeah, exactly. like- it was like, it's, <laughs> like, it still sticks with me today. Full disclosure, I, my first choice was WashU. I applied early decision. <sighs> Did not get in, and uh, I applied for all the reasons you just described.
2: You <laughs> made a huge, huge mistake, and I was about to say we could have gone to college together, but I think. That was so uh, much I wish we would have overlapped
1: like one year or something. But uh, you know, I don't. You know, it's okay. I, I hold nothing against the institution. <laughs>
2: If you want to come to WashU now, Drew, I will make yeah, that
1: Yeah, I happen. mean, I've already, have you? you could
2: come as a guest lecturer. I did
1: do a Zoom with you, so I feel like I went there. It's sort of like an honorary degree at this point, you know? Like like when <laughs> Kanye gets an honorary degree, he's just like, I have a degree from Harvard. It's like, <laughs> that's not really how that works, but, you know, <laughs> I guess so. Anyways. Pretty close, pretty close. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think you and James both have a situation – where you're like doing this sort of cognitive dissonance thing. Yeah, actually, that, that's actually something that I just wanted to circle
0: back real quick to is that you mentioned that you're teaching alongside faculty that you that had taught you as an under, undergraduate student. Um, and I also had like a, I don't know, I'm, I'm very curious to uh, hear your experience adjusting to the school that you went to school, uh, but now as a professor, uh, for me, I went to undergrad at RISD for, uh, and I was class of 06. Um, and so when I went back as a grad, I think I definitely spent like a semester what I the way I describe it it felt like I was chasing my own ghost. like I'd walk up the stairs in the design building and I was like terrified I'd run into like my former self, like either a physical manifestation of my former self or literally like a ghost because I also spend a lot of time in the design center. Um, So that was actually something hard to shake. And then for that same reason, I actually made a concerted effort not to take classes with professors that I had taken classes with before. Um, So that was actually like on my mind for, it, it was a huge distraction actually Uh, on top with a lot of the other adjustments that I had to make. Yeah, I'm curious as to sort of, I mean, you're dealing with a lot more transition because you're also transitioning into a different career. Um, But physically being in that environment
1: where, you know, young Becca had had formed in a way. I mean, in both cases, how long, how much time had passed between undergrad and... Oh, for me, it was eight years.
0: Right.
2: Right. I mean, I think that it's um, certainly like there was a little bit it was a little spooky in the beginning to be like teaching because teaching in the same classrooms that I had studied in. And I can't really I think at the time I would have been able to put more words around why Um, I think because I was at that point such a completely different person. but at the same time there was something really cool about it because I really was just so happy to be there and really enjoying the students um the parts of being in St. Louis there were certain areas I would avoid like where my old apartments were I would kind of like skip those <laughs> corners and it's not because there was any right. like meaningful experience that I need to avoid there but it was like I want to establish my new life here you know, certainly coming back as an, as an adult, I see St. Louis completely differently. I mean, as a student, if you don't have a car, you it's much harder to see the city. There's a public rail system, but it's pretty lame and doesn't go very far. Um, so you can get around, but not very easily. So and and St. Louis has evolved quite a bit in the you know ten or so years since I had left. And so um, I was getting to know the city in a new way. And so it was more less about like how I felt at school. I think it took a semester or two for that kind of fog to pass. But um, I think to this day, I really um, try to keep like my personal life footed in like the new, my new existence of St. Louis. I think there was also now it's, you know, going on a couple of years, but there was a lot, a bit of denial too. I think we kind of saw the move as temporary where, which like it very well may still be. I don't know that we'll be here forever, but um it was also this feeling of like, well, we're just here for the, for the job and, you know, it'll be a couple of years and then we'll, we'll move onward. And now, you know, I've since like had a child. And so we're like much, it feels much more anchoring to be here. And so all the more so it's, this place has taken on new life for me because like, they're just all these new touch points that like, like the hospital where I had my baby, where he goes to daycare, like, it's just all these new places that um, kind of pushed me further and further away from that mindset. And I think in terms of, um, you know, James, what you spoke to about being around the kind of the same figures that you were with in undergrad, I think, you know, one key difference is that it wouldn't be me like taking classes with them. Right. And So my first semester back, I taught this class um, called digital studio, which is kind of this catch all intro to design um software basically for um, design students and now it's been expanded to studio art students Um, and I taught that with John Hendricks who is a brilliant illustrator and a really really wonderful educator and so I felt like that was my boot camp like teaching alongside John taught me so much and it was such a great way to come into my first semester and um, of course I remembered what a great teacher he was when I was an undergrad but when you're 18, 19, 20 you're not thinking about like what makes this person such a good educator, right? Like you're not breaking it down. So it's really sort of great. like
1: intimidated and trying to impress that person. And then you're like trying to emulate them. But I guess you're sort of trying mm-hmm. to do that as a student too. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm curious to hear some of those sort of, um, I'm actually really interested to hear that how you sort of, those tactics that you've taken to sort of separate your, you know, present life and your past life and like how you're establishing yourself sort of psychologically also or physically. Um, but also on Drew's note, like uh, anything that you bring from your past experience as a student to your experience teaching them. Um, I remember in high school, we had a Asian studies history teacher who actually was an alumni of our high school and she ended up being a real sort of like pseudo counselor to the students because she could actually deal with a lot of the, so to give a little background, like I went to international school, but like 60% of the school were like Korean Americans or Korean hyphen wherever they're from within this context of an international school in Korea. So like those sort of identity issues or clashes of culture, she was able to sort of kind of help understand the students going through similar things.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would like to believe that that would come through. I I can't speak for the students, so I don't know how effective it was. But I think, you know, there's a, like we were saying before, like there's a culture and an ethos to, I think, the people who are drawn to a school like WashU. And I'm sure that changes over time. But I think there is a lot of similarity that remains to when I was there as an undergrad. It's just like really smart, really nice, good people and really motivated people. And I think having, and super ambitious, I mean, oh my gosh, these, they're just like, everyone is doing a dual degree or two majors and a minor, like just um, taking on so much. And so I think having an understanding of that mindset, I think is helpful sometimes in advising students. Um, and certainly like, you know, having, Before I taught at WashU, I mean, I only taught adjunct, but I taught at Wesleyan for a year. And so I had this experience of like what it feels like to walk into a program when you're completely new. And so I had such an appreciation for my just innate historical knowledge of the program, because I think that really helps you understand where students are in, in their sequence and understand kind of what the trajectory is because it's a lot of learning that has to happen to get to know a program with its own faculty and you know culture and ethos and all that so I think that was something that just made the transition that was still challenging because of the move and teaching full-time was a whole new thing um, that was really really tiring and, and hard um, and so having that historical knowledge of the program was just one last thing I had to kind of like absorb
0: when I first started. Right, really. right. So you kind of knew the context as an educator more than a past student. I mean, the, the being a past student gave you that context so that you know sort of where these kids are coming from in terms of like how they're flowing through the foundation year, how they might be socializing, like what is the student mentality?
2: Yeah, I mean, it goes so far because, like, they always laugh at me because I truly am so disconnected from, like, contemporary, like, certain elements of, like, their culture, like, you know, memes and stuff like that. Just not. Yeah, I mean, I took what if yesterday I was
1: troll? To be honest,
2: <laughs> that's what I do at night. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think you know, with as much empathy as I can, I can understand where they're coming from, but I also acknowledge that there's a lot that I don't know. Um, Probably for the best, to be honest.
3: Relax. Rest your hands gently in your lap. Breathe in and slowly let go. You have confidence. You have clarity. You have Adobe InDesign. Today, you are going to make creative decisions that will bolster your client's value, and hopefully yours as well. You have been waiting for a project like this for years. Now is your chance. Shine bright, upgrade your portfolio, and upgrade yourself.
1: curious about what what you like as an educator first of all instill in the students that comes from that kind of way of doing things cuz i do think you i think like for everybody it sort of like starts with how what's your perspective on this and like how do you stay grounded doing this type of thing like what keeps you working right and like not losing it or like having weird priorities like what are your priorities and and how do you and what what have they been as a designer like personally for you and how do you and how do you like try to instill those values in your students I guess
2: it's you know it's so funny so often I feel like what I can offer my students is like here are all the mistakes i made let me tell you let me forewarn you and help you prevent yourself from making them like so often and sometimes it's like things that are more you know um like practice related or just kind of like ways of thinking long term and then other times it's things that are like super super specific where it's like i'm teaching you this InDesign thing that it took me 10 years to discover and i'm giving it to you now like you better appreciate Um, (laughs) this but i think you know those are moments where it's like okay i you know had my ups and downs and i really would like as much as i can to give give them this perspective, whether, whether they'll take it or not. Um, My priorities in grad school, however it looked from the outside, were like very, there was something I was trying to reach and I just never felt like I was reaching it. And I think um, there, there was no, there was no emotional balance whatsoever. I think the only rule that there was for me, which I absolutely instill in my students, is like th- there's never a reason to stay up all night. I don't believe in that, and that was my one rule. Like I'm not staying up all night. Yeah, I just won't do it.
0: I mean, <laughs> that that's what I mean. Like, cause I, you know, I I have no idea actually, like, what your psychological uh, state was, but I think from the outside looking in, I think you maintain like a good healthy physical balance like Mm. you made sure you went to bed every day you made sure you're eating you made sure you were exercising (laughs) whereas like for me i was like oh no like i just let my life totally devolve (laughs) at at some point which we all did at, at, at some point towards the end i mean yeah uh but yeah but like i always admired your discipline to sort of make sure that your physical self was in check um but yeah, like, could, could we kind of dig into that a little bit more about in terms of, like, you mentioned that grad school was, like, the opposite of balance, but, like, um, of course, like, aside from the fact that we're spending two years fully dedicated to design study, like, we're not really working. Uh, you know, we did some freelance work on the side, but we're pretty
1: dedicated to our studies. I guess I also like to add, I had the same sort of idea as you. I think I come from a sort of, like, ethos like you put in the work you can you don't like go overboard and that like I've just never been somebody who's like done an all-nighter or and I was like I'm not going to do it I didn't do it ever and I'm not going to do it now but I also judged like everyone else for doing that and and I wish I did I wish I didn't Um, and I wonder where because you know you're in grad school it's a short amount of time what do you think is going on in people's heads who are like doing that you know is do you think it's just frenzied or do you think maybe they want that sort of energy maybe something cool will happen that I didn't expect even though it's like chaos
2: I mean I believe in that and there are times when I get engrossed in something certain things more than others and so that can happen and then you look up and you're like oh it's 1 a.m. But now I'm going to go home. Like, I think, and I think that's also just the way I am. Like, I'm not going to make good stuff at 3 a.m. That's just not who I am. But I think there are some people who really do. And so there's definitely, like, all kinds of reasons why someone might be in studio all night. And sometimes it's social. But I do think there are some people who really do, like, function well at that hour. And, like, that's when things start to happen. It's just not. I think, you know, going to grad school when you're 27, 28, like, I knew myself well enough where I was, like, I know nothing's going to come of this. I'm going to be pushing things around. Like I should really just go home. That is that kind of knowing how you work. And so I would say that's something that I do try to communicate to students. Like you're learning, you're taking this time to also learn how you work. There's no expectation that each of you are going to like, we lend you a process that you you then like morph into your own because not everyone works the same way. And so I think that's maybe an example of that, where it's just like some people do come up with brilliant ideas at night. For me, that happens when I like, not brilliant, but, you know, if I like wake up in the middle of the night, which I'm like, I wake up all the time at night now. But like, um, for whatever reason, and um, like, I'll think of things, but it's not going to be like me sitting at my computer or sketching something at three in the morning when like, oh. That's the concept for the book. Yeah. Like, that's not going to happen.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely poses questions about, like, work ethic and what it means to be a hard worker. Because I think there were people in the program who viewed me and maybe you the same way, like, as sort of not as working because I wasn't there all night or because I wasn't there all day. And, and I have this issue, too, currently. Right. Like, my wife is an architect. She works way more than I do. And she has like way bigger responsibilities than I do at my job in some ways. And it's like, to her, I am a bit lazy, to be honest. Speaking as like the lone all nighter
0: here and someone whose work thrives on anxiety. I think some of it, a lot of it actually did have to do with like me physically having to find the space where like, no one's around, no one's going to be looking over my computer and I'm like totally alone in the dark. And I can just like, cruise into into what I needed to get into which like
1: might say something about my lack of focus but um or maybe for me I mean I it came from a fear because I think when I was younger I had like a couple instances where I like didn't do my homework like early enough and my parents were like going to bed and I and everybody was like going to sleep and I was like I have to stay up and work on this like this is I and I don't know what to do and I'm gonna and I like, I think I like scarred me. Like I didn't want to be like alone.
0: Uh, Becca, you mentioned just a while ago that you're waking up in the middle of the night uh, for whatever reason these days. But uh, I, I assume that one of those reasons is your new son.
2: Well, thankfully it's not because he sleeps through the night. It's a beautiful thing. He's almost two, so he sleeps really well. Thank goodness. Like since he was six months old, otherwise I'd be. Like I really, it's, it's definitely something that shows that I don't, I mean, I really struggle when I can't, um, when I can't sleep. Um, but, um, full disclosure, I'm pregnant right now and that's why I'm waking up at night. Um, Congratulations. Congratulations. yeah. So, um, that, I think that paired with like with the beginning of the semester. So it's, it's one thing you just kind of wake up a lot at night, but then the thoughts start. Um, and that and then it keeps me from falling back asleep. Um, so thinking about the checklist of like, what did I not talk about in class today that I need to talk about next week and things like that. Um, so, so that's, those are the things that I think about now. I think a lot of things keep me like oftentimes are things that I, think about it at night but at least for now that's kind of that's what it is um
0: how has being a mother shifted your priorities one like from terms of your career but also sort of like maybe your priorities creativity uh, creatively like has it made you see some new things about like you know what it what you can do with your skills now
2: um I mean it's changed a lot of things I think um both in my teaching I, a little bit and definitely in my practice. I think um, just my, um, my, there's like a, of not physical, but there's just a barrier to how much work I can take on. Like I just, it's the sort of thing where, you know, if I may have previously been like, yeah, let's do three projects concurrently on top of teaching full time. I just can't commit to that right now. I have to be much more um, cautious about how much I put myself out there um, which is hard because it goes against um, a lot of what I like instinctively want to do, which is to kind of push for everything. Um, so I'm still able to be productive, of course, and thank goodness for daycare, but um, it definitely changes things. And so, um, you know, I, I, yeah, every time there's a new opportunity or something I might want to apply for, I have to really think about it. Um, and I think, you know, kind of going back to the work-life balance, you know, it's very much affected, you know, whereas I used to maybe do some, like, lecture prep at night, things like that, unless I really have to, like, I cannot work at night. You know, it's like, he comes home, I might wrap up a few things after he goes to bed, but, like, by the time we do the evening routine, I really am just kind of spent. And so I think that's something that's a big change. And and what's kind of challenging is that I think – Um, you know, with the clients that I work with right now, it's not really an after hours issue. You know, things are moving at a pace that's much more manageable, I would say. Um, So it's not like, oh, I have to hop on and like do this late night email thing. It happens once in a while. But um, the change in the pace of communication with students, I think is something that's really, really noticeable since I was in school. I mean, I probably emailed my teachers like, I don't know, fewer than five times ever. Um, and I'm not saying this as a complaint. I love being in contact with my students and I want them to reach out to me and feel comfortable doing so. But between email and Slack and all these different platforms, um, there's a lot going on and it's hard for me to not respond to it. It's hard for me to say like, okay, I see you sent me this message. I'll respond tomorrow. Cause to me, it's something that I need to kind of take care of, A, so that they can get on with their work. I want to make sure that they can make use of their time. And so that it's one less little red dot that I have to address, right? So um, so I think on the one hand, having a child has definitely changed the balance of things, like no question, especially with COVID, where, you know, it was like, first of all, he was home with, I was on maternity leave, so he was home with me for five months and then with COVID and it's a very interesting thing. Cause I was still getting used to this feeling of like, there's something I need to do. You know, like I was working on a book project. I want to work on this thing. I have ideas, but you physically can't like, it's like, an, it's like something's itching and you just can't scratch it. Like I cannot work on this until you are asleep. Right. Because there's just no other option. And so both when he was first born and then during COVID when, you know, daycare was closed, um, it was really hard, but also I think a good, um, a helpful thing to kind of force me into, um, a little bit more balance, even though I, I don't think that I've found the right balance, but there being something that literally is saying like, you absolutely cannot address this right now, you know,
1: really carve out the
0: time. It's not really like you can put boundaries. Yeah. It's not like you can put like boundaries on your child, right? It's like, all right, be here, only here for like two hours while I do this thing.
2: I mean, when they're really little, it's easier because they're just kind of blobs that lie around, but they need things. Now, I mean, there's just like, there's no, I mean, I can't do anything if he's um, up and around. So um, I think that was like, kind of like the lack of balance that I had in grad school and actually mostly directly following grad school, the year after grad school was kind of where it all came to a head. And I think slowly since then, first by like adjusting to this job and then having a semester to teach, I was really fortunate that I got to teach our students um, abroad in Florence. And that semester was the first time that I felt like some semblance of normalcy was coming back in terms of balance. And then like each step has kind of brought me a little bit back toward equilibrium, even though I'm de- like in talking about, you know, what we were going to discuss, Rafa, my husband was like, Oh yeah, you are not like you, like you've, <laughs> you've come a long way, but there's still like, there's a long way to go. So I think it's like all these little changes that um, kind of force your hand to find new ways of organizing your time and balancing. And there are certain things that I've, could be doing like I could be working late at night, but I just, you know, it's again, it's these are decisions that I make where it's like, this is not something I'm going to do unless I really, really have to. Um, teaching stuff in terms of like design practice, I think I am just now trying to um, like find other outlets for enrichment because I've been really focused on just like the main client project that I've been working on for some time with a partner and um, that's continuing to move along. But I think, you know, I'm trying to find ways to um, kind of work those muscles again, because I really miss it. But that's when it's really hard to find time. Because it's like, that's extra. That's for me, right? Like, that's me time. And is the, 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 the hardest thing for me is like, let's say Rafa takes my son out for an hour. And it's like, okay, I have me time. What am I going to do? nine times out of 10, I'm cooking something and I'm cleaning and I'm like doing something f- for the house. And I'm not, cause that is for me because it's helping me be sane for the rest of the week, but it's not really for me. And so I think those, like those creative and enri- like those things that enrich your creative growth are the things that are really hard for me to find time for.
0: Right. And the way our process works for, especially those sort of deeper thoughts, does, it's not like we can just like say, all right, this is the hour where I'm going to get new ideas.
2: <laughs> exactly. And like that ambient time.
0: Right, 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 right. That like where like through your experience of the time or what you're absorbing kind of is able to digest and sort of percolate.
3: support now we love hearing from the design community call us at 202-507-9158 please share your story with us after the tone we'll do our best to respond on our podcast please leave a name or alias design role and location thank you for your call
0: back to our original question that we sent you yesterday, kind of breaking down a lasting experience from your design career that has affected you emotionally or psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we threw you a, a you know, a fastball there right before we got on, but yeah, now that you've had a little bit of time to talk about it I think about it.
2: Sure. I mean, there were certainly specific experiences that came to mind, and I don't know what it means that everything that came to mind was like... Not negative experiences, but things that left like a lasting impact in terms of like, you know, a, not a mistake I made, but something I perceived as a mistake are a lot of things that um, I still contend with. So like, you know, if something went wrong with a printer, it's something that I hold on to for a long time. Like, what did I do wrong, even though it wasn't inherently my fault, um, if you look, think about it logically. Or, you know, um, you know, sometimes there's engagements with students where it's like you think that you're giving your all and that you're, you know, showing as much empathy as you can give and it isn't always received that way. And so those are the things that really, I think, the specific things that came to mind at first that really stick with me because... Um, for what, you know, I I always kind of linger on like, what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? But I think that like in the bigger picture, what really has left a lasting um, kind of emotional imprint is what we talked about, which is this question of balance because coming out of graduate school, I think all of us like thesis year, you don't have much balance, but I think some of my, some of our friends, I think were really smart And kind of knew to take a pause and to slow down. And I did not do that. And it had me kind of totally burn out um, really, really quickly. And led to a lot of stress and imbalance. Um, And so I think it's definitely, it took a lot of time to work through that and figure out like, okay, how should I be making decisions? Um, It's something I still think about a lot. Um, you know, like that summer I was offered a teaching role that I had to decide within two days and it was going to have a huge cascading effect on everything else I was going to do, just for example. Right. Um, and I had freelance work that I was allowing to completely overtake my life instead of being smart and saying, okay, like I'm taking three days to go away to visit my family and I'm just not going to work for three, like, right. Like it, all of the balance went out the window and, I think that can happen sometimes and that sometimes it's necessary, but the emotional toll was very, very high. And like I said a bit earlier in the conversation, it took me a solid year and a half to really kind of work my way away from that. Um, so I think that's something I always that idea of balance is something I always keep my eye on, and it kind of ebbs and flows. There are times where it's you know there are flare ups, but nothing as severe as that. And a lot of that, like we spoke about, is because of these like anchor points in my life that I have no control over, like other humans I have to take care of. So um, that is something that's definitely evolving. Um, but I think that's something that's left a real um, a real impact. I mean, I certainly um psychologically it's something that i contend with on a day-to-day basis and
1: you elaborate a bit about like not to get too in the weeds with it but like what was sort of like the breaking point or what what really made you like take a step back and say like okay this is not how i can function and like how do i get back like mm-hmm. what does it look like when you are functioning and what does it look like when you're aware that you're not cuz i think a lot of people probably who would listen to this podcast have similar issues with recognizing when they're functioning well and when they're like at their limit, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was always functioning and that was like from the outside, it looked like I was functioning, but I was struggling a lot. And, um, you know, really agonizing over, like, did I make the right decision? Should I have taken this project rather than pursuing this other thing? I think in my mind after grad school is like, okay, now you've done grad school. like You have to go be something and do something really interesting or do something that's really going to make all of that time and money and everything worth it, right? I felt like I had to justify grad school. Mm -hmm. That was really in the forefront of my mind. Like you have to make sure that you make this all worth it. Whereas like, obviously that's not the point of it. Right. Like I can see that today. Right. I met amazing people. That's the, that's the, the biggest takeaway for me from grad school are the people that I met. Like I, I it's the most important thing. Um, and the ability to teach. But at the time it felt like I have to like either work, for a studio that I really respect because that's the thing, like that's the thing that's going to help me become independent and do what I want to do. And, you know, I had this whole idea in my mind and it really clouded my ability to enjoy my life and to be at peace with the decisions I was making and the opportunities that I was able to um, grasp or find or make happen. Um, so that it just took a lot of um acceptance I don't think there's really anything else that happened other than time and I think um moving to Washu having one full-time job as opposed to doing three when I was living in New York I was teaching in Connecticut so commuting two days a week which was horrible the teaching was fine the commuting was horrible um working freelance in a studio and doing freelance for my own clients and it was just it was too much and wow. it felt like yeah. um It was all fine and I was learning, but I was learning a lot. And obviously I owe that Wesleyan job a great deal because it was kind of my dive into the cold water of teaching for the, you know, I taught at RISD, but that was my first real teaching experience and um, certainly enabled me to have the job that I have today. But um, it just um, wasn't balanced. And my, it was, I think ultimately it was really about acceptance of like, okay, these are the decisions I made. This is what I'm doing with my time right now. I could have said no to all those things and said, I'm going to fight and fight until I get whatever the idea was in my mind at the time of what job I would want to have. Um, and that, that, was, that was the thing that just took a lot of time. And then I think ultimately, um, and then it was acceptance about the choice to go into full-time teaching. I wasn't planning to do that so soon. And so mm-hmm. I'm so happy that I did. I love my job. I feel so lucky to have it truly. Um, but it felt like a parting, like I had to kind of let go of that other dream, right? Like I'm not going to work in a studio in my life. Right. I have my own practice, but like, that's not going to be something that's going to be in my life. And that's okay. And I'm at peace with it now. And I actually think it's for the better for me, you know, given my personality and how I work. And I've found um, amazing collaborators in my life here, you know, like the person that I'm designing this book with now. And so I feel really fortunate that I've found ways to do that. But basically, I would say the key word is like acceptance of what is reality, what is what I imagined rea- what like reality should be versus what it I- what mm-hmm. it is,
1: and recognizing like, that sometimes Yeah, being present and being aware of like what's actually happening around you versus what you judging it against what you think should be happening is like so important because then you can build off of like what you're actually doing as opposed to just like these uh, false ideas. I mean, you can basically self-actualize anything, but not if you're like kicking yourself for every mistake being everything you're doing, being seen as a mistake, like taking on that job or doing this thing. And you just have to build off of, I think, what decisions you do make and and like own the decisions but if you I think like what you're talking about is like making a decision and standing by it and like giving it your all as opposed to like being like halfway there and halfway somewhere else and not knowing like where you're standing
2: and also acknowledging that like you're making these decisions for a reason right like when I moved to Israel when I was 23 and the best advice I ever got was from my cousin who had lived there for many years. She's American and married in an Israeli, a similar situation. And when I was deciding whether or not to move. She was like, listen, you can always go home. You'll know when you're miserable, right? Like you'll know when you're miserable. And the best advice I ever got on that topic and many other things. And I think part of it is like knowing, I think for me it was being at peace with like, I'm making these decisions for a reason. Like I, the choice to work full time wasn't just because like, Oh, this, this will square things away for a while. Right. It was an acknowledgement of like, actually maybe what I think is best for me and where my personality is, is more suited to something like that than killing myself in a really intense studio job. Not that they're all like that, but it's, it's a hard, it's a harder style. And so I think it was like really being honest with myself and like, being at peace with not the decisions because I clearly, I was, I wouldn't make them if I thought it would make me miserable and it certainly didn't in the end. So it kind of proved itself to be true, but accepting like, I thought I was this person, but actually not that they're like archetypes or something, but like, I thought that's what that I thought that's what I was supposed to do, but actually this is what I'm going to do now. And so um, that's something that I've had to kind of just c- come to terms with over time um right. like just kind of seeing myself and acknowledging like what i i think i think also
0: what i'm gathering is that like there's amount of acceptance but there's also amount of acceptance to the present moment and seeing what the present moment and your present position based on those decision, means to you like mm-hmm. You made that decision and after you make that, like I don't know, because I also had a similar experience, like I moved to another country right after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And for me, actually it hit me like three years later really badly. Um, but like sort of like coming to terms with your decision at the place you are. Mm-hmm. maybe not projecting to the future of where you could have been. or also, I'm sure in New York you had this future projection of like where your path was gonna go. And also the same, when you probably move to St. Louis, there's a projection of where you're going to go. And it's actually like coming, like, I don't know, I think I'm having a little bit of breakthrough here myself, but it's like coming in terms of like where you are in this moment, Mm -hmm. based on the decisions that have brought you here. And then accepting that part of yourself and showing, like, you know, understanding what that decision reveals
1: about you.
2: Exactly. A hundred percent.
1: And looking around and seeing like, okay, I made all these decisions. This is where I am now. What do I have at my, like in my periphery that I've actually already have for myself because of the decisions I've made, right? Like your own version of it and actually making it more for you and more suitable to your personality and like what, how you work and how your life, you want your life to be, not how you think your life should be. Um,
2: Right. A hundred percent. And I think that's definitely where I've gotten to. And then there are the sparks of like, okay, but then what about tenure and what should I be doing? And, you know, there's always something else, but I think their time and um, like, to your point, kind of like James, you know, time and then the ability to like see where you've come and, and really understand what that's offered is really really valuable and for some people it might mean like oh wow this actually really isn't where i want to be i'm not very happy and that then lead to a change but like as i've said to you know rafa and i talk about this a lot because he's from israel i'm from the east coast like we it's very hard for us to be away from family we miss our life and our community in israel and so we talk about this a lot but we know that where we are right now offers us so so much. And like, just kind of taking it one, one step at a time. Um, and having those checkpoints, the way he puts it is like, you swim to the horizon line and then you reevaluate. You yeah. Know? Um,
1: there's a, there's a Bill Callahan line. <laughs> he says, no matter how far wrong you've gone, you can always turn around. That's like one of my favorite. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit dark. Cause it's like, assuming you're going to make some mistakes, but I guess everybody does. But I, I actually like, think about that all the time it's like you can always turn around no matter how like how fucked up your decision making has been like it might Mm -hmm. be a longer process or require more hard work to turn around but you can um so knowing that kind of allows you to make some of those decisions easier this is a very beautiful beautiful point we've come to yeah keeping in mind like the accept acceptance and expectation kind of that seems to be the culmination of like setting expectations for yourself is important and having goals and, but also accepting your limitations and accepting like reality, like what you're doing may not be exactly what you thought you were, should be doing, but it has Mm -hmm. its own version of, uh, like the fact that you're doing something that you're that you find yourself enjoying and you can find enjoyment and like peace and balance, in whatever it is you are doing. And then that's how you kind of like actually have important, put importance in what you're doing. Because if you're just trying to get to the next thing or try to get some other accomplishment later down the line, you're never going to actually invest in what you're doing at the
3: time.
2: Mm -hmm. And, And I also think it's like part of that acceptance is also just paying attention to like, what am I actually doing? There's this saying that's which means like voting with your feet. So it's like, I can imagine what my expectation is, but like, what am I actually doing? Like, what do I choose to do when I have those, you know, those options? And I think just kind of like accepting, like, what, how am I vote? Like, it sounds so silly in English. but Like, how am I um, actually enacting things and like looking at what you're actually doing versus what you imagine you should be doing? Yeah. and,
1: And what you're drawn to, to actually do is sometimes maybe more even, It just, you should just do that. Like what you, what feels right. Even if sometimes it doesn't align with what you thought would be right. It's just like, oh, Mm -hmm. this feels right. And this is nice. And I enjoy this. And I'm going to give this my all as opposed to like this other like weird dream that like maybe somebody else even imposed on me. that wasn't even me.
0: I think another thing we like to do on the show is come up with like short little mantras. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think I just came up with one. I don't know if this is the best, but I, I, I think I like the mantra, like balance and acceptance is revealing and
1: Whatever that reveals is up to you and how you deal with
2: it. <laughs> I like that.
1: Balance comes from acceptance, I guess. Too that could be. Are
2: you all gonna? Say that, that's gonna make, another good one. Are you gonna make a graphic support group T-shirt line? Like each episode has its own like mantra shirt.
1: That would be cool. Oh, Drew's already on Well, I that. do want to make a shirt that just says "I survived" graphic support group where, and we send it to the people who are on it.
2: Yes. Oh my gosh. Because I just think that's... that
1: I love those shirts that say like "I survive" or like "I." I drove up this mountain. I'm like, this car drove up this mountain or like this. Right. Right. So
2: you could also make a shirt that just says graphic support. And then people will think that you're just like a staff person and they can come to you for like,
1: (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I mean,
2: we got what I am. I should make that for like all of my colleagues. We're just graphic support. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) I mean, the goal of the whole name is like, we're supporting each other. If there's a client involved, we're supporting them. We are there you know whoever is involved in a graphic support group thing is supporting one another in some capacity
2: mm-hmm, that's that's mm-hmm. The,
1: the mindset of well we appreciate you coming on and talking about this stuff and hopefully okay. yeah thank you so much this is a beautiful conversation
2: thank you so much for having me i w- i would talk to the two of you for any reason and at any time so i'm just happy to have